From the Medical Republic, I'm Francis Wilkins. This is The Tea Room. Earlier this month, the RACGP began accepting nominations for the college's next president. And in The Tea Room, we've been talking to some of the candidates. The incumbent president, adjunct professor Karen Price, is the steward of a profession that's been brought to its knees by poor policy, neglect, and most recently COVID-19. Professor Price has lobbied for a better Medicare rebate system, a turnaround in the decline of the rural and regional workforce, and an improved indigenous healthcare service. And whoever succeeds her will have to do more of the same, unfortunately. One of the brave souls who's put their hand up for the job is Dr. Nicole Higgins. Nicole's a GP based in Mackay, North Queensland. She's a supervisor and has been national chair of the GPSA for the past two years. And she's a faculty member of RACGP Queensland. Nicole, welcome to the Tea Room and thanks for joining us for a chat. Good morning, Francis. And you're ready with your coffee rather than your tea? Yes, I definitely have my coffee. It's early in the morning. I I must admit, I I do have a bit of a caffeine issue. Okay, I think we all do. Anyway, so look, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and why you're running for RACGP president? Yeah, so I am, as you said, a GP from Mackay. I originally born and bred in Victoria and so a you know, country girl, studying in the city, and now I live in the last 20 years in regional Queensland. I've been many things during my career, a practice owner, I'm a supervisor, I've been a medical educator. I'm, I guess my biggest role is I'm a working parent. So I understand many of the issues faced by, you know, our, our ground roots GPs. I've also held leadership roles within GP Supervisor Australia. I've been been the chair for the last two years. I'm a mentor for RACGP Future Leaders. I'm also on RACGP Queensland faculty. And my strengths really around strategy, communication and collaboration. And that's what I'll bring into the role. And the reason I'm running is we've got a system in crisis. And as we emerge from COVID, it's going to be time to reset and position general practice at the centre of primary health care. And RACGP needs somebody to continue this legacy through who's got experience at advocating and negotiating on behalf of its members. And one of the things you know, with GPSA that I was able to do was build the organisation and secure its future. And I want to do the same for RACGP on behalf of its members. So hmm. I bring safe hands for the future. Certainly, there are a lot of tasks, and you mentioned lobbying briefly, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but what's your what's your vision for RACGP? Um, does the college have a role or a persona, if, if you like, that you would like to develop? I, I think that RACGP has actually got a very big and bold future, and it you know will going into the future member centred and profession first. And I want RACGP to be the organisation that represents. You know, general practice. We all know what the problems are, but it has to be solutions focused. And some of the areas that you know, I believe we need to continue, as you mentioned before, what um, Karen Price had started is to continue working on the viability and then sustainability of general practice. So that's growing, you know, growing our own profession, but also keeping those who are already in there and making them feel valued. Certainly, there is a, a need there to, to grow the profession. The question, of course, is how do you go about doing that? And specifically growth, how would you address that? 
Well, some of the issues were really around making general practice attractive and feeling valued. So for those new doctors coming into general practice, making sure that we have portability of entitlements, which you know, on, on that playing field that their hospital colleagues do. So around paid parental leave, around study leave. And for women who are already within the profession, who now make up the majority of GPs coming into the profession, we need to recognise that longer consults need to be remunerated. What's been happening, you know, especially during COVID, is GPs have been, you know, we've been the engine house of primary care and making sure that that's been recognised by government. At a practice level, the issues that we are currently facing are around payroll tax and supporting practices who are transitioning through from bot billing to mixed or private billing, you know, universal bot billing is gone. And really until the profession comes together and those bot billing rates drop, the government's not going to have that impetus to make change. You mentioned longer consults and specifically when it comes to mental health, women seem to bear a disproportionate load. Medicare discriminates against women and mental health issues through not remunerating those longer appointments. And it's discriminating against patients, GPs, and particularly women, but also those who come from you know, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds who will have longer consultations, who require that care. Mm. And there's so many other challenges facing primary care right now. What are some of the others that you would have near the top of your list of things to address as a new president? So with my practice owner hat and the what this is going to mean for the profession moving forward is payroll tax. Now, this is a state issue and it varies across the country, the impact, but already we're looking at how this will change the relationship of how doctors work. It's going to need a consistent but a collaborative approach with all organisations, not just RACGP, but our peak bodies to actually educate the governments on, on what this means and how this is going to impact on our sector. Mm. And uh, going to the uh, financial aspect of running a practice, uh, you run, of course, your own practice, Health on Central, and that has what you call a slow medicine philosophy. Now, recently, we have seen another pioneering practice group, which also had slow medicine, unfortunately go under. The financials weren't quite right, so they weren't able to sustain it. But with the slow medicine philosophy, can you tell us a bit about your approach, first of all, and is it something that would influence how you would support the profession if elected president? We base our practice culture around quality, so making sure, looking after the GPs and patients. So our standard appointment is 20 minutes. That enables us to practice the medicine that, that we choose to practice. Out of the 10 GPs, eight of them are women. And this is recognising that women and our patient cohort, who are quite complex, require different care. We are a mixed billing practice and I've actually shown that it is financially viable to do so, but it requires a different philosophy. It's not a churn and burn practice. It's a practice that values teaching and that enables retention of doctors in the region. And, you know, I've essentially been able to grow my own practice from a, you know, I started out on my own five years ago to now having 10 GPs. It doesn't sit well with the current billing and rebate structure, though, does it, slow medicine, unfortunately? No, it doesn't. And this is why I will be a very vocal advocate of why we need to change 
you know, the current model that rewards, you know, you know, quick medicine. And we need a combination of, you know, both fee-for-service and also the mixed billing as well. So it would be quite revolutionary uh, change required to effectively bring in slow medicine. But it can be done. We've got a profession that is burnt out at the moment, that's feeling unrewarded and who really doesn't want to practice that in our type of medicine. You know, we're GPs. We have relationships with our patients. We build our communities. And there's increasing complexity of care. And we need to take ownership back of that. What we've seen is that other you know, role substitution, you know, with pharmacy and nurses, you know, that is not a workforce solution. We actually need to be recognising that general practice is the heart of primary health care and rewarding that accordingly. Do you think that's a message that would help to get people more interested in coming into general practice, have them be more optimistic about it as their long-term medical career? Because at the moment, we've obviously got 16%, I think, going into GP practice. Yeah, we do. And we, we haven't filled the quota for the AGPT program this year. So second round offers have gone around. And what I've demonstrated is that th- this is, you know, drive your own adventure. This, if this is how you want to practice, you can do it. And especially we need to have different models, different flexibility for working parents, for people who've who work part-time. Often GPs have got multiple careers looking at how, you know, some people will have a special interest in skin cancer medicine, refugee health, etc. So it's trying to cross over the breadth and differences that general practice can offer. Now you're a supervisor, yeah. chair of the GPSA, and in your own words, you said supervisors are the cornerstone of GP education. Could you tell us a bit more about that and also how does it fit into fixing this this crisis that we have in GP education and training? So we've got a huge opportunity to grow our own workforce and supervision is something that brings me joy. It is something that brings uh, interest into my day-to-day work and GP Supervisors Australia, you know, it's a little organisation that has big outcomes and what it's enabled. So for the last two years, I've been advocating and negotiating with government, Department of Health, been able to establish relationships within the department. So things about how am I going to manage dealing with government, you know, I've already got those relationships in place and it's just transitioning across. Supervision, it grows not only a workforce in rural and regional areas, but it brings, you know, a quality practitioner. So what often what we hear is, you know, especially doctors who have come from overseas are often, you know, we often put our most vulnerable doctors in our most vulnerable communities with our most vulnerable patients. And supervision is our safety valve. It just makes sure that people's educational needs are met, but also, you know, I think probably the biggest job I do is pastoral care Mm. and making sure that people are okay. Now, you mentioned IMGs. Are there other ways in which we can support IMGs because they don't seem to be having the easiest time of it at the moment? No, they don't. And 
what's often forgotten is they represent, you know, about 40, 45% of the RACGP membership. So these are doctors who have got their primary qualification overseas. And when you have a look at diversity amongst in within RACGP at a leadership level, within a faculty and also with the communications that come out, we need to have our policy informed by the doctors who are the members. One of the things I would like to bring on board is actually have an advisory council of culturally and linguistically diverse clinicians to actually inform RACGP about what's important. And I think that was really evident during COVID. Our communities that had the biggest challenges with COVID were those where English was a second language. And the GPs who were in those communities were vital in getting the communication out. So the other group that needs a voice is our LGBTIQ community when we're talking about diversity and, once again, having that community be able to inform policy. And you said earlier you have some of those relationships in place, but when the rubber hits the road, dealing with government is not always easy, even if it's a new sort of flavour government as we have now. They're about to sit almost as we speak, actually, in the first day of the 47th Parliament. So when it gets down to business, how would you manage the relationship with government, given everything that the college needs to achieve? The trick with dealing with government is knowing when to work quietly and negotiate in the background and when to push back loudly. And I've shown that, uh, you know, capacity to do both. I'm not afraid to speak out when we need to and probably nothing more evident than recently in North Queensland with the pharmacy pilot and we pushed back against the Queensland government and having that ability to also call out bad behaviour. But at the same time, working in the background strategically to achieve the outcomes and funding that doesn't have to be about beating your chest. And so lobbying is part of advocacy, you know, but it's not, it's not all. Sure. I guess when we talk about relationships, there are also relationships with regulators as well as government. Do you think the relationship with APRA needs a bit of a reset? And is that something that the college should have a stronger role in? I think every member of RACGP would definitely advocate for that. The impact that that's had on our morale, so with how GPs can be named and shamed, it is shameful. So this is where RACGP has to be the organisation that speaks on behalf of members. That'll be an interesting one to watch and whoever becomes the next president will obviously have that on their mind. It's going to be a big challenge. You know, we've we've got multiple organisations that we deal with and it's not just government, as you said, it's APRA, it's the Australian Medical Council. There's also our other stakeholders and other colleges. So there's a lot of relationships that do need to be managed. And we'll no doubt look forward to seeing the next president managing those relationships in what are reasonably troubled times. Nicole, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us and we'll let you get back to clinic because I'm sure you have a very busy day ahead. Thanks for your time, Francis. Cheers. It's a pleasure. That was Dr. Nicole Higgins talking to The Tea Room. Next time, I'll be talking to another candidate who's thrown their hat in the ring with their eye on the RACGP presidency. We'll see you then. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favorite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. And if you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at francis at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production by the journalists at the Medical Republic. 
Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.